right, uh, my name's Caleb. I'm the student pastor here at Valley Ranch, and I'm excited uh, to, to jump into a book. As John said, we, we don't typically walk through in a corporate worship setting like this, and so I'm excited to jump in and get started uh, this morning. As John said, we're starting a new series on hope, and we're focusing our attention through the book of Zechariah, where in chapter 9, verse 12, he says, return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. What does that mean to be a prisoner of hope? Well, that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And specifically this morning, we're going to talk about how we can find hope in his word, in, in hope, in, hope in God's word. Now, give you a little uh, background to the book of Zechariah. We don't spend a lot of time in it, so we want to spend some time talking about it this morning. It is one of what we call, one of 12 of what we call the minor prophets. It's found at the end of the Old Testament. It's actually the second to last book in the Old Testament. Um, and this word minor is not to say like these minor prophets are like our minor league players, right? They're, and, our ML, and our major prophets are like our MLB big leaguers. That's not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about is just specifically the length of writing. And so our minor prophets like Zechariah have shorter writings than some of our major prophets like Isaiah. Um, but they, have, they still have very important messages for the people of Israel and for us. In fact, in Ephesians 2.20, it tells us that God's household is built on the very foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Uh, the prophets have... Uh, really important roles to play in the nation of Israel and in our history uh, of, 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 our, of our understanding of Scripture. They have the role of, of both teaching God's Word while also sharing what's to come in the future. They're, they're, to, they're to speak truth into cultural and needed issues that the Israelites were facing while also telling them what God had planned for them in the future. They were instrumental in guiding the nation of Israel and, and so important for us to understand as we understand, they give us a foundation of what we read in the remainder of scripture. Um, so the prophets are extremely important. Now, give a little context before we get to our passage at the beginning of this book. Um, as we know, Israel had, had gone through some ups and downs in its history and that mainly was due to their decision uh, to, to focus their attention and efforts on things other than God. And, and, it, and it proved detrimental to them. Um, there was a lot, of, a lot of issues that came, even though the, that God sent these prophets to them to catch their attention, they wouldn't listen. Uh, the most recent devastating thing that happened to the nation of Israel was that the Babylonians had taken control and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple with it. Um, the prophets, uh, uh, we're told that the prophets were sent to catch their attention, uh, but they didn't listen, and it brought these devastating effects to their people. Well, uh, God gave them another chance and sent the Persians, uh, and the Persians took control, and they actually were going to give the Israelites, they did give the Israelites the opportunity, the chance to rebuild their temple. And that's where we find ourselves as we approach the ministry uh, of Zechariah this morning. So as we look at this prophet, as we look at this book over the next few weeks, 
I want us to remember that God had sent his very word through the prophets like Zechariah to speak truth and hope into their situation and into their lives. Um, And this morning specifically, I want us to see how God's word provides great hope to all who are connected to it. So with that, Let's uh, jump into our passage this morning, Zechariah chapter chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Barakai and son of Idu. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors for whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where where are your ancestors now and the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he had determined to do. Now, the prophets were not known for their subtlety, and Zechariah is no different, right? He had some pretty pointed words to share with the nation of Israel. Now, some of you may be wondering, what's going on if, if, if they're allowed to rebuild the temple? What's going on right now that, that is causing Zechariah to speak so boldly uh, to his people? Well, like we talked about, the Israelites had been given the freedom um, and the direction to rebuild the temple. So God sent two prophets, Zechariah and another man named Haggai. Now, these two prophets were sent to continue encouraging the people to do the work of rebuilding the temple, to do the work that God had asked them to do. Verses 13 and 17 of chapter 1 tell us that God had sent this young prophet with good and comforting words to share with his people, to to encourage them to say, look, the Lord is with you. No matter what's going on, he's going to see it through. So stick by him, the the good and comforting words that God's word would provide hope. I'm here to tell you this morning that that there is great hope to be found as Zechariah Zechariah is telling the Israelites the words of God. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 15, 4, he says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. God's word provides great hope. What a powerful statement. I can have hope. I can have real hope. I can be encouraged about my life no matter what's going on. Um, I, I can enjoy a positive and productive and joyful life if I have hope. And a source of that great hope is the very word of God. The very word of God. So how is this possible? Well, I want to share with us three reasons this morning that we can find hope in God's word. The first reason we can find hope in God's word is because we can find hope in its author. Hope in its author. Now, we see a common phrase that God uses to describe himself throughout this passage. Did everyone catch that? It's Lord Almighty. 
uh, Lord Almighty, in, in, in verse 3, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, declares the Lord Almighty. In verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways. Verse 6, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve. This is one of the, the first things that I recognized as I was studying this passage of Scripture because it's so repetitive. It's, it's got to have some importance, right? Well, it does. This title that God uses to describe himself is the Hebrew word El Shaddai, which is best translated all-sufficient one. And it's a description to the sovereignty of God over all things. All-sufficient, enough. He's sovereign over all things. In fact, in, in Psalm 24, 1 and 2, it tells us this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The Lord is the creator, the sustainer, and the possessor of the entire world, of all creation. Therefore, worthy of our our worship and our reverent loyalty. You know, we see a lot of a lot of different names and attributes for God in the Bible. He is He is the Lord Almighty. He's the, the creator of the heaven of the earth. He, he, he's the God of all mankind. He's the King of heaven. He, he's the eternal King. He's the only God, the everlasting God, and the maker of all things. He's able to do more than we could ever ask or even imagine. He, 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 he performs wonders that are, can't be fathomed and miracles that can't be counted. He, his power is unlimited. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He, he, he is the maker of all things. He spoke the universe into existence. And he answers to no one as to his plans and his purposes. And this is the God who made a way for us to know him and his goodness. And if this is the case, y'all, there is nothing that he can't carry us through. And this is the Lord Almighty who gave us his very word, a word that provides great hope. A word that provides great hope. When we see God in this way uh, as Almighty, we're struck with a sense of, uh, with his power and the fact that he is indeed a mighty and awesome God. With, with a sense of awe and wonder toward him and his word that, that we become, we, we start to realize that he is a God above all things without limitation. You see, God was making a point when he used this title to describe himself. He's telling his people that the words that you're about to hear are from the one who is above all things, who is all sufficient, the one that created you, the one that brought you into existence, and the one that provides hope in every circumstance. And he is the one, the Lord Almighty, whose very words he made available to us. When we stick close to, as it says in 2 Timothy 3, the very God-breathed word of Scripture, we're drawn close to the one who spoke them. God's word connects us to him. This is what he wanted his people to understand, and this is what he wants us to know about him and his word, that it provides great hope. It connects us to him, that we can find great hope in his word because we can find great hope in him as the author. The second reason we can find great hope in God's word is because we can find great hope in its promises. 
Now, as we've already discussed, the Israelites haven't always been the best at following directions. They haven't always stuck to what God asked of them or or paid attention to what uh, he wanted them to pay attention to. In fact, in verse 2, it tells us that the Lord was very angry with your ancestors. They hadn't followed through. They hadn't paid attention. They hadn't stuck with his word and with him. But, in fact, it wasn't just their ancestors, Uh, We know from the book of Haggai that even though God had had given them the time and the the freedom and the direction to rebuild the temple, uh, they were on a 16-year break from the rebuild. Yeah. So, let let me, some of you in here have probably done some remodeling on your home, right? And as we know, it always goes to plan. We always have the materials we need. It always finishes on time or, you know what, probably before time, right? No, absolutely not. It never finishes on time. We never have what we need. But can you imagine 16 years? Your contractor gets distracted for 16 years. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about crazy and probably some really tension, probably some big tension in your households probably, right? Yeah, 16 years, but, but, but their failure to continue this work is, is somewhat understandable, and I want to I share why. Um, in the book of Ezra, we learn uh, of some many difficult things that the Israelites were facing in, in just the previous few years leading up to this. Now, yes, they had been given permission by the emperor to to start rebuilding the temple. But there were other people, there were groups of people that did not want them to build. So they started to try to distract them and discourage them and actually threaten them not to continue building. Well, uh, I think we, from our own experiences in life, can, can understand this a little bit. Life just gets difficult sometimes. We face discouragement we face opposition, we face distraction, we face self-doubt, and these things have the potential to wear us down, to tire us out, and, and just to question what it is that we're doing. We can, we can understand what that's like, and that's what the Israelites were going through. That's what they were facing, um, and they had a choice to make. They could either continue to follow after God's direction in his word, or as we know they did, set aside the things of God and focus on their own things. We can understand that, can't we? We can understand what it just is like just to be tired. Just to be tired. But here's what God is telling his people. He says in verse three, therefore tell the people This is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me and I will return to you. One might expect God to say here, return to my law, return to what I demand of you, return to to the things that I'm demanding you to do, the list of things I have for you. But that's not what it says. It says return to me. Return to me, your God Almighty, your personal, intimate, all-sufficient God. 
He, God could have very, very well demanded whatever he wanted to. Remember, he's, he is sovereign over all things. And yes, God wanted them to, to return to the things he's asking of them. I'm not dismissing that. I'm not uh, excusing that. God wants us to do the things that he asks of us. But the emphasis here is on a personal relationship. On a personal relationship. The first part of this verse is a command. It says, return to me. Return to right relationship with me. Live your lives as ones that honor me. God's word was calling them to repentance, to, to prayer, to laying their circumstances at his feet and committing themselves to him and his word, to a personal, intimate relationship with him. The first part of this verse is a command, but the second part is God's promise. He says, uh, he says, return to me and I will return to you. Now this promise has a few different layers to it. Uh, the first one, he's saying, if you return to me, return to me and I will turn my face towards you in blessing instead of anger. He's also saying that once the temple is rebuilt, I will return to the temple as I have designed it to be, to be, to be living among you uh, in the temple. That, that, that's, his, that's his second promise. The third one is he's looking further into the future where, where Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. You see, in other words, God is promising uh, uh, that this Old Testament prophet uh, was going to become reality, uh, that this promise in this Old Testament prophet was, was going to become reality in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Was his eventual return to us, uh, making a way for us to know him and spend our eternity with him. This is the promises that we find from God and from his word. God's word promises that if we turn our face towards him, if we put our trust in him, if we will return to him, we will find hope, the hope of the saving grace of Jesus. Find great hope in the saving grace of Jesus. And then the, as the, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us makes us like a holy temple to where he makes himself known through us to the rest of the world. The hope in the promise as Jesus taught his disciples to pray that his kingdom would come and reign forever. This is the hope that we can find in his word and this is all the hope that we need to face the circumstances of life. God's word is full of promise. The third reason we can find hope in God's word is because we can find hope in its teaching. Now God was trying to help the Israelites out. He was trying to use his words from the past and their past to teach them about their present. He was trying to help them understand uh, what they need to do. In, in Zechariah 1.4 it says, do not be like your ancestors to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. God was trying to use his words from the past to teach them about their present and about their future. 
We have other verses that talk about how the Lord's word teaches us. I've already referenced this verse this morning, but 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This passage of scripture teaches us a couple things. One, we've already talked about. That scripture is God's word. It is God-breathed and therefore trustworthy and dependable. Uh, The second thing that we learn here is that God's word is useful. Well, what's it useful for? It tells us right here. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Uh, Now, I asked our students this question just a couple weeks ago when we talked about this very passage. How many of us in here like to be rebuked or corrected? Yeah, uh, not many of us, right? Training and teaching, those seem okay. We, that happens at work, that happens at school. Training and teaching, that, that, that seems okay. But if we're honest with ourselves, uh, the words rebuke and correct carry a pretty negative connotation to them. And we don't usually like uh, the outcome of those kinds of encounters that we have with people. But this morning, I would encourage and challenge us to to rethink and and to to gain a new perspective and to reframe our view of these words in this context. Now, uh, when I was a little boy, um, got some pictures up here of me as a little boy. Uh, When I was a little boy, uh, I used to, uh, we used to go out to my grandparents' lake house in a little small private lake in East Texas. Now, this lake house was nothing special. Th- these were all taken there while we're outside um, hanging out and having fun. Uh, it wasn't anything special. It was a little small house with a little one bedroom with a, a couple like I Love Lucy style twin beds in it, you know, separated. Uh, and then uh, a little living room and a little kitchen and bathroom and a, a, a boat dock uh, out front. Well, uh, even though it wasn't anything special, I, I loved going there as a kid. It really was like where my sense of, uh, of adventure and love for the outdoors, I think, really started. Um, we used to do all sorts of stuff. We would fish, we would swim, we would explore the woods, we would shoot our BB guns at turtles and snakes in the water, all that kind of stuff. We'd row that little boat back in the little channels of the lake. Um, another thing we used to do was we would take our bikes and ride around uh, the road that, that wound, around, wound around the lake. Well, at one of these times, um, uh, my parents didn't know I was telling this story, so they're probably shuddering right now because it's, it's, anyway, one of those times, um, uh, we come to the top of this hill and it, it, it looked like Mount Everest to me as a little kid, but it's more like, probably like a bunny slope, but it looked huge to me as it, when I was a kid. Um, and this time, I was determined. I was like, I'm going to ride down this hill as fast as I can. So, I'm, I'm getting prepped for this. I'm like, it's like uh, I'm at the Olympics getting ready for a gold medal run, right? Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm checking my handlebars to make sure they're stable. I'm bouncing my tire up and down to make sure it's got air in it. Um, I'm getting psyched up for this challenge. Well, this whole time, my dad's doing what a dad should do, and he's giving me the safety talk, right? He's saying, like, okay, be careful. Check your brakes. Don't go too fast. Blah, 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 blah. Like, all, all the boring stuff that I didn't want to listen to, right? And I'm not listening to it. I'm just, I'm just prepped for this. I'm ready to go. So, as I begin my descent, I can, like, in my head, I can hear the crowd cheering, Caleb, Caleb. 
Like they're cheering me on. I get a couple good pumps from the pedals and I'm picking up speed. I can feel the wind in my hair as I'm, as I'm picking up this speed. And it's this sense of freedom that I've got until um, I got the handlebar shakes, which I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this or maybe you've seen it right before a major slash hilarious bike crash on America's Funniest Home Videos. It's where your handlebars start shaking back and forth. You're going too fast. Your handlebars start shaking back and forth out of control right before you crash. Uh, And so this is what was happening. And what was a sense of freedom soon became panic. Uh, And I tried to gain control, but it was too late. My handlebars flew sideways and my bike came to a halt. Now, let me ask this. Does anybody know what happens to the person riding a bike when it stops all of a sudden? Yeah, you go flying. Yeah, and that's what happened. Right onto the pavement. And I was knocked out unconscious, right? So why am I telling you this story? Well, because in that moment, my dad's words mattered. Yeah, big time, yeah. What, what he had to say to me mattered, right? I, I, I wanted to dismiss all the things he was saying. I wanted to have fun, and I thought what he was telling me was going to prevent me from having fun. And so I wanted to do what I wanted to do. But here's, here's the thing. My dad knew me better in that moment than I knew me, probably because... Uh, he had the same adventurous spirit growing up. So he probably knew that already, but he knew, he knew that adventurous spirit in me. He knew my craving for adventure and that I would want to push it too far. So what did he do? Well, he spoke words of wisdom and truth and love into my life, right? He spoke those words of wisdom to try to help me to understand what was best for me, but I didn't want to listen. I wanted to do it my way. I thought it was going to be more fun. But you see, like my dad's words in those moments to me, God's word is full of wisdom and truth and love. He, he, yes, it's for training and, and rebuking and teaching and correcting, but that's because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows how we operate. He knows how we're gonna react in certain situations. He knows our tendencies even if we don't know them. He loves us and doesn't want us to see doesn't want to see us get hurt. This is why he speaks his words and he wants us to experience as it says in the the end of 2 Timothy 3 where it says so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that we may be equipped to approach life with what we need to have hope and joy and experience life with him to the fullest. So that that we can live a life of purpose for him. God's word is not just a list of do's and don'ts that we feel like we have to, to abide by. That's not how God intended us to have a relationship. That's not the relationship he intended us, us to have with his word. My hope for all of us, and I'm going to tell you this, as I prepared for this, as I studied for this, I was super convicted about this uh, because my hope is that, that, that we learn to love God's word because of the hope that we find in it as it connects us to our Father in heaven and as we're transformed into the image of Christ. That, that, we would, that we would have a profound desire to be intimately connected to his word as we seek to know him more 
deeply. Let's be like the psalmist who, who proclaim their love for God's word. Psalm 119 is like an anthem for God's word, for loving God's word. So it, verses 48 and 143, the message paraphrases it this way. 48, I cherish your commands. Oh, how I love them, relishing every fragment of your counsel. Verse 143, even though troubles came down on me hard, your commands have always given me delight. And if you've ever heard me talk about God's word, you've probably heard me talk about Psalm 1 where it says, those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his word day and night are like a tree planted by streams of water that yield fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all they do, they prosper. This is what it looks like to have a foundation of loving God's word. It's, it's this image of a tree planted by a source of life. When we're connected to God's word, we're connected to the source of life, and then we bear fruit, and we impact people on, on the deepest level possible. Our relationship with God's word provides us with hope because we're connected to the living word of God and our source of life. You know, the, the worst part about the story I just told is that uh, before my parents took me to the hospital, my dad grabbed my bike and he chunked it in the woods because he's like, I don't want to deal with that right now. I'll come back for it later. Well, he went back. Guess what? It was gone. Somebody had taken it. Talking about rubbing some salt in the wound, right? Like seriously, uh, but, but, but seriously, really the, the greatest part about uh, my, my, the end of my story is that even though I didn't listen to my dad's words of wisdom uh, and direction in that moment, you know what he did? He ran to me and he scooped me up in his arms and he carried me because he still loved me. The Lord was telling his people, I still love you. That, that he would return to them despite the covenant-breaking relationship of the past. Saying, I still love you. I want to be in relationship with you. Listen, church, we're going to get it wrong. We're going to mess up. But God's word is always there to draw us back to him to connect us to the Father, to give us hope even in our most vulnerable spots in life. We can find hope in God's word because he is the author whose promises are never broken and who gives teaching that forever is beneficial for our connection to him. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, um, we're humbled that you even uh, made it a, a way for us to hear directly from you. Father, as we seek uh, to, to know you to the deepest level that we can, Father, help us to stay connected to your word. Father, help us to, to learn to love your word in a way that it changes our life forever. Father, help us to love your word so much that it, that it transforms us into the image of Christ and then we are, are an outpouring of that love to others. Father, help us not to see your word as just a, a list of things that we have to do, but help us to be intimately connected 
with you through your, uh, your word that you gave us. Father, it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.